this week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. That's uh, weird. That's, that, that was the weirdest flag. part of the yeah. episode. What? And welcome to Buff the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season five, episode seven of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Fool for Love. As well as Gilmore Girls, You Jump, I Jump, Jack. These are more similar than I initially thought. Yeah. We can talk more about it at the end. I don't want to influence anything but i feel like there's similar themes happening yeah they were both good right these were both beloved episodes yeah they're both good i have some questions about gilmore we'll get there though cool i probably have some questions about buffy weird (laughs) (laughs) our reactions are similar anyway what's new with you uh you know i'm chilling uh there's a vampire in love with me um trying to deal with that oh sucks but what's she gonna do it's right here yeah, it's Sandy from Buffy. I figured. I should just stop going to Willie's. Why did he go to Willie's? Like, is there no other bar in town? That is an interesting question, Stacey. Why does he go to Willie's? Is there an answer and that's why you're being weird? You know, it's just a really interesting question. Stop. Stop what? I'm just saying your question is so interesting. But also, non-Willie Willie told him that he goes there like every night. Is Riley okay? That's what? one of the nights. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I don't. I don't know. I'm worried about Riley. I'm sure he's fine, and he was just going there for fun one time. Speaking of going places, transitions. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> you should see Stacey's stand-up. <laughs> it's all transition. No. We're going to the Midwest for a few days. We're going to a wedding. In Minnesota. With our old improv troupe, and that's going to be important later. What? <laughs> Believe me, I've got things to say. <laughs> okay. Remember, we were in an improv troupe, and a guy we knew from that is getting married in Minnesota. Yeah, and we're going to go. We're, of course, from Wisconsin. We're going to spend some time with our families on either end of the wedding trip. And we had a cat sitter all lined up. Super cool guy. He was supposed to wash our... He wasn't supposed to wash our cat. (laughs) (laughs) We're taking a cat with, and we wanted him to look good. Yeah, he's got to look good for this trip. We had a cat watcher set up. He was going to come and actually stay at our house, happy to do it. He was supposed to do it about a year ago for us, and then like two days before the trip, he was like, guys, I'm sorry, I got COVID. He felt terrible, but we were able to cover it, and he was fine. I swear to God, he's supposed to watch Kurt in a couple of days. He just texted us today saying, guys, you're not going to believe this, but I got COVID again. He sent us a picture of his test results. I 100% believe him. It's just so funny that like every time we need to watch Kurt, it's like when he gets COVID. Just like, I don't know, like he hears he's going to babysit a cat, and he's like, I'm going to go to a rave. It's possible he's just as bad with excuses as I am with transitions. Yeah, that's what it is. Next time we need someone to watch your cat, we should just let him know, like, you might want to get tested. You probably have COVID right now, man. Yeah. Anyway, he's just trying to get all the variants out of the way so that he's (laughs) ready for when he really needs to watch Kurt. Well, we found someone. We found someone. Yeah. I'm excited to go on a trip. Me too. By the time this comes out, it'll have happened already. Maybe if you're in Minnesota, you'll see us in the wild. But don't approach us because we're dangerous in the wild. We are. We're very dangerous. Grr. Yeah, because apparently all of our friends have COVID, so we probably have (laughs) Speaking of five-star views. (laughs) What? You're so good at transitions. Thank you. 
Thank you so much to Miss Rissy for the five-star review. Yeah, thank you. And as always, don't forget about Wink.com. I just read a message that someone didn't realize it was spelled with a C. So if you've been going to Wink with a K.com, I don't know what you've been buying, but... Does our promo code work there? I, I don't know. I'm sure there is a <laughs> Wink.com. We have I to refuse to investigate. <laughs> I refuse I'm to investigate. You can get a Wink subscription. What is it? A home that thinks on its own? I think it's like a smart home app. Like it controls your lights and stuff. We don't know about them. Don't go to them and buy anything if you have been. We want you to buy Wink wine like we do. Yeah. Every time we watch shows, we share a bottle of Wink wine and it gets weird. We've been posting videos of our reactions on TikTok and Instagram now. It gets weird? <laughs> well, we get tipsy. What was... a good ad. Guys, it gets weird, all right? like Not, mm. not everyone who drinks Wink wine is going to get weird. I'm just saying. <laughs> saying <That's>... we do. <laughs> I'm currently promoting Wink and our TikTok videos. Mm -hmm. If you want our reactions to the episode right after we watch them, influenced by alcohol, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want Wink Wine, click the link in our episode description or social media bios, where you'll head over to trywink.com with a C slash Gilmore Slayer, where you can get your first four bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. They've got all kinds of wine that they tailor to your palate. We love it so far. We just got a brand new shipment, some rosés. I'm excited to try. Yeah. And don't forget to use promo code Gilmore Slayer at checkout so they know we sent you. Do you want to get into episodes? Oh, yeah. It's time to get into episodes. So this week, we started with Buffy. Stacy, please tell us all about Fool for Love. So this episode is really mostly about Buffy doing an interview with the vampire on Spike. Yeah. To find out more about him killing two slayers in the past. Yeah. That's really mostly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we get a bit more of Spike's backstory. And Riley's got a little project. Yeah, a little project. Okay, well, the previously on reminds us that Spike was called William the Bloody and that he was named Spike because of how he'd torture his victims with railroad spikes. Also that he's killed two slayers and, like every previously on, also reminds us that Spike has a chip in his head. They do that literally every time. Yeah, I know. In case you haven't been watching Buffy since, like, the beginning of season four. Right. You're just like, whoa, why is Spike not killing everybody right now? The episode officially opens with Buffy in a graveyard fighting like an 80s vampire. She's talking a big game. She does a cool flying spin move. But this guy pretty easily turns the tables on her and makes her stab herself in the tummy with her own stake. Yeah. She pulls it out? I don't know. You don't want it in there, but my instinct would not be to pull it out. Yeah. It's like holding the blood in. Keep it in there till you get to a profesh. You said this guy easily turns the tables on her, but I think he just like kind of got lucky. Like, she was being too confident. I don't know that he was, like, actually a better fighter than her. No, I wasn't implying that, but it didn't take much to surprise her. Yeah, she wasn't really paying attention. She was, like, playing with him. So, obviously, Buffy's hurt. She kind of just shuts down. This dude's about to stab her again. She looks a little scared. And then, luckily, Riley roams the graveyard sometimes like a weirdo and shoves the vampire away just in time. He tries to, like, tase him, but the vampire gets away and Riley takes Buffy to her house to bandage her up. They say no major organs were hurt, but Riley thinks she should see a real doctor. Riley, there was a whole episode about you refusing to go to the doctor. Yeah, I know. I mean, to be fair to Riley, he's like, the doctor's probably going to find, like, demon parts and organs inside my body, and I don't need that right now. That's true. And Buffy doesn't want to go because she doesn't want her mom to worry. Right. She's confident that between Riley's medical training and her slayer healing powers, she'll be just fine. But then she kind of has to admit to Riley that it was just one normal vampire that did this to her. She's mm-hmm. not really sure why. Then Dawn busts in. 
She says she's sorry to interrupt their sexcapades, but just wants to let them know that mom is coming. So she walked in on their potential sex to give them like a three second warning about Joyce walking in on their potential sex. Well, I don't think she actually thought it was sex. I think she probably thought they were like making out or fooling around, but. Right. But like, why does she care if Joyce walks in on them? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That does seem silly. Yeah, you're right. It was a weird, it was a weird moment. Dawn sucks. It does buy them a little time to start hiding all their first aid supplies. Joyce still notices some of it, and Dawn covers for them saying it's nail polish related, which Joyce buys because mystery illness can't stop the oblivious parenting of Joyce Summers. <laughs> Buffy shows Dawn her wound and uses it to guilt her into helping with housework. Mm-hmm. Riley says that he'll take care of patrol tonight, but Buffy insists he take the Scoobies with him. So Riley goes patrolling. He is in his element. He's got military colors on. He's got like secret hand gestures crouching the gang is not as enthusiastic about this as he is they're just like slamming chips yeah they're clearly lays like ruffle chips with like a different label slapped on there Mm -hmm. willow's got a season three throwback outfit on complete with hat yeah she looks silly this is like all we get of any of these characters this whole episode yeah it's really mostly buffy and spike also xander doesn't seem to like recognize his hand signals which I was weird because he had all that military training. So you think he would like have some sort of idea what that means. You kind of suggested while we were watching it that maybe that's fading away. Like, do you know that? Or do you think this is just like a mistake that they forgot that he should absolutely know some of this stuff? I mean, I think it might even be the writers are telling. There's not going to be an episode where we like deep dive into Xander's memory of his army time. Yeah. It's also possible Xander had like Vietnam training. Yeah. Riley's got much later military training. Yeah, that's true. I I don't know when Xander was from, but certainly no later than Persian Gulf. Riley suggests they split up, mostly because they're annoying. They're like, we're sorry, we'll be sneakier. He's like, fine, fine, just dish the chips. Xander comments that he's like jealous of Riley. Yeah. He says he's like a cat. Xander, we've established Riley's like a dog. (laughs) He's just like jealous of him. He's like, why aren't I like that? It's just so cool. And Willow with a mouthful of chips is like, I think you're cool. I liked that. It was cute. (laughs) And Anya, like, pats him on the back for encouragement. They eventually see the 80s vampire, and he goes into a crypt where a bunch of vampires are having a little boys' night. There's too many of them to go in, so they're going to come back and kill them while they sleep in the morning. But Riley doesn't go back in the morning. He goes back later, on his own. What are you doing, Riley? It's too dangerous. What's wrong with Riley? He's fine. He's not fine. Is he drunk? Did he go to Willie's? He's a good boy. He's a good boy. (sighs) He's being a bad boy. He fights 80s vampire really well. He does like this cool trick where he steals the steak from him and then stabs him with it. I don't know why the other vampires didn't step in to help sooner, but eventually Riley drops a grenade and the rest of them explode, I assume. Yeah, and uh, that does kill a vampire. And Riley, he's gone. No, he he ran out. (laughs) It kills a vampire because their heads blow off, I assume? Yeah. How many pieces of a vampire need to be blown off for it to die? Like, could you just be a torso and a head vampire? I feel like you could be. Since Buffy's injured, she goes to the magic shop, and her and Giles are researching past slayers. Because she recently came pretty close to death, Buffy's trying to figure out how specifically these slayers died and what made them lose, so she can learn from them and keep that from happening to her. Giles points out that there probably isn't much record of this, because once the slayer's dead, she can't exactly give an interview about how the fight went down. And if past watchers were anything like him, it was probably too painful for them to write about it. That was a sweet moment, I felt like, because she was like, oh, it wouldn't be, like, proper or whatever, and he's like, no, it was too painful. Yeah. 
I'd argue they should still like push through and write about it. Like that's kind of their job. But also, what is the author going to say? Like, yeah, she fought a vampire. I wasn't there. She didn't come back. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could say like who she went to fight that night. Yeah, right. How her body was found. It is weird that like no one wrote anything about it. Right. But after this sad moment, Buffy remembers there is someone alive who would remember some Slayer deaths. Mr. The Bloody himself, Spike. Now, as we said, Buffy gave Riley a little patrol project this episode so she could fucking emotionally cheat with Spike the rest of the episode. What is happening? <laughs> no wonder Riley's drinking every night. I mean, he doesn't know, but... He feels it. Maybe he feels it. Why do I feel bad for Riley? Whatever. I know, it's the worst feeling in the world. I'm so torn. I'm so torn. She goes to Spike's house to bully him into telling her how he killed the other Slayers. She actually says she wants him to show her, but cut to them just fully on a date at the bronze. <laughs> To be fair, she's not excited to be there. No, I guess he's only planning on putting out if she buys him dinner and drinks first. He's just like having a beer. He wants her to order buffalo wings. I was a little sad we never saw him eat the wings. I feel like that would have been cool imagery of like cutting from like him bloody mouth in a flashback to him like orange mouth with buffalo sauce. Yeah. But when she turns to order the wings, he notices that she's hurt. He's like, well, 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 no wonder you need my help. She's like, have you always been this big of a pain in the ass? And he's like, what can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. Cut to pre-vampire Spike, who is the opposite of bad. Yeah. And I love him. He seemed like a very nice, handsome man. Well, not according to anyone that he's hanging out Everyone with. Everyone hates him so much for no reason. <laughs> well, his poetry's bad. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But, okay, we'll get into it. It's 1880 in London. Spike's a poet. He's at some fancy event. Not especially different from the Life and Death Brigade event, but it's yeah. indoors. But it's, I don't know, it's got a similar vibe. And he's got a crush on this woman named Cecily. Cecily and her friends are discussing what could be causing all the disappearances in their town, Angel. And Spike says, <laughs> I prefer not to think of such ugliness. That's what the police are for. He prefers to create beautiful things, like his poems. They're like, cool, let's see your poem. And they rip it away from him like a high school bully. He's like, no, no, it's not done. Don't read it aloud. But this guy does, and it's a love poem. And Spikes uses the word effulgent, which makes everyone lose their shit. They just laugh at him so much. Cecily's embarrassed. Spikes embarrassed. Everyone's joking about how terrible his poems are. Someone says they call him William the Bloody because of how bloody awful his poems are. To be fair to these rich people, back in the day, you know, there wasn't TV or even radio. All you had were people who did bad poetry that you could make fun of. I mean, that's what parties were back then. <laughs> they would have done a podcast about Spike's poems. Oh, yeah. If they could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spike goes off to talk to Cecily, but she is not into it. He confesses that his poems are about her, and she's just horrified. He tells her he loves her. He admits he's maybe not a great poet, but he is a good man. And she tells him that he is nothing to her, that he's beneath her. Who are you, Cecily? What makes you so above? Also, Spike is the hottest one at this party, and his poem was fine. So how about everyone just get off his back? Yeah, you're like a Bridgerton six, so <laughs> don't pretend. I just, <laughs> I just, like, didn't get why. I need more information. Like, what? why is he so hated? Because he had a kind of a bad poem? Well, they tried to, like, make his hair less attractive. Like, oh, see, he's not beautiful man. It's like, he is, though. Like, I liked his hair. <laughs> 
It's like when they put glasses on a hot girl and they're like, oh, she's ugly. It's like, no, she's still hot. <laughs> he's so handsome. I mean, he's got some serious beta male energy. Yeah. But I don't know where this woman's like, I'm better than you. Like, you're not, lady. Sorry. Your, we don't know anything about you, Cecily. What makes you better? Maybe her poetry is fucking fire. Is that so, all we <laughs> judge people on? Real good. Yeah. <laughs> There's a deleted scene where she reads a poem and everyone's just like, holy shit, that's good. <laughs> Spike goes outside. He rips up his palm and bumps into Angel. We don't see Angel's face, but I recognize his stupid, wispy 80s hair anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, that doesn't matter back then. His poetry was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Spike goes to pout in a barn where he is approached by... Just, just such a funny fucking sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why? Spike, just this, Spike goes to pout in a barn... That's not funny, objectively, especially out of context. <laughs> I mean, it's what happens. Yeah, okay, go ahead. But he's approached by Drusilla. She tells him that she sees the brilliance in him that no one else can see. And of course, also burning baby fish swimming all around his head. <laughs> At first, he's like, get away, you're crazy, and you're going to rob me. I have to get home to mother. If he had said that at the party, I'd be like, okay, maybe you're beneath Cecily. But I don't know <laughs> if they knew he lived with his mother. But Drew tells him that she can see that he wants something, something more, something effulgent. Does she know to use this word because she's psychic? I don't know. I suspect so. Like, I've never said that word in my goddamn life. I, I had to stop saying it. I was like, if I keep saying it so much, that's all we'll hear on the podcast. It just was like, whoa, is that random? But she is like a little psychic, right? Or has some kind of powers that not necessarily all vampires have. Right. He falls so hard for this. He's like, yes, I, I would like whatever you're about to do to me to happen. Sounds great. And then she reveals her vamp face, starts biting him. He screams ow for like a while, but then it feels good. Back in the present, Bobby and Spike are playing pool. And Spike explains that getting killed made him feel alive for the first time. And he instantly felt a new strength and the freedom to live by his own rules. But first, he needed a gang. Now, we learn in the corresponding episode of Angel that Angel, Darla, and Drusilla were all kind of hanging out together at this time, and Drew was starting to feel like a bit of a third wheel. So she was sort of on the hunt for a boy toy, and Spike just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I feel like this episode, like, is not meant to be standalone, because we should mention, I think, that airing right after this was an Angel episode that covers a lot of the same events. Yeah. It's the Darla episode of Angel Season 2. And we get to see some of these events from a slightly different point of view. Like the Drusilla scene that we saw seemed very much like she saw into his head and was like, oh, this is a man worth turning. Like, like, And I, that's how he felt, I'm sure, too. And maybe that is true, even. But from Angel's point of view, when we watch it that way, you find out that she's thinking about it and just like the first person she sees, she turns, which is right. him. You can argue that... She did see something special inside of his head because she's psychic or she was just like, whatever. We also know from Angel that he kind of meant to like torture Drew forever a little bit. So like, I feel like she isn't so much like a friend or companion, but almost maybe like a joke. Yeah. For him. Yeah. Angel, though, is not a fan of Spike. They don't really go into details, but it seems that Spike's maybe not being subtle enough with his vampiric methods. Like... Angel's all about finesse and artistry, and Spike likes just kind of risk-taking and being reckless. It's interesting because they've sort of swapped personalities. Like, human Spike was very poetic and philosophical. and Yeah, he's very intellectual. Yes. And then vampire Spike is like, Bleh. 
Which is sort of how Angel was before turning. He was like a frat bro. Yeah, totally. That's a good observation. And not, now all he fucking does is read. If, to be fair, Vampire Angel, Evil Angel, Angelus, was not necessarily philosophical, but like Cursed Angel is. Yeah. He's kind of a poet now. I mean, maybe Angelus was too, but he was also very vicious. But that's, right. I don't know, that was interesting that they're kind of on either ends of the spectrum, they're opposite. Angel's mad at Spike. They fight. He almost kills him with a railroad spike, but doesn't until Spike that one day someone will teach him a lesson. Maybe the Slayer. He's like, ooh, what's a Slayer? Back at the bronze, he tells Buffy that after Angel told him that, he was obsessed with seeking out the Slayer. Buffy's like, yeah, cool, cool. So how'd you kill her? And then he kind of just like physically assaults her in the middle of the bronze and tells her that a Slayer has to reach for her weapon, but he's already got his, showing his vamp face. Again, just in the middle of the bronze. He's, they're just like tussling and he's going vampire. No one, no one cares. Is everyone at the bronze under that can't see demon spell Tara did last week? <laughs> Occasionally people see them do stuff, but no one's ever like worried. And then we see the tale of how he killed his first slayer. A woman in China in 1900 during the Boxer Rebellion. They're fighting and she drops her stake at some point and she goes to reach for it. And that's when he bites her. You, you pointed out that she gave him his eyebrow scar. Yeah. It's not very... Obvious. Like, I watched it again, and there, there's a moment where you can tell that it happens, but it's not, like, a significant, like, they don't show his face being like, oh, my God, you cut my eyebrow, or something like that. Yeah, honestly, I wish that they had set up that, like, he got that scar before he became a vampire, because I don't know that it makes sense that vampires get scars. You're even. right. Like, they heal up. So I think they were trying to be like, ooh, that's kind of clever, right? And it's like, no, just have that be what happened to him as a human. So it makes goddamn sense. After he kills her, Drew comes in. He lets her taste some of the Slayer blood off his finger. I don't like when people lick shit off of fingers. It never seems appetizing. It's just always like more gross than hot. Even if your hands were clean and it was like chocolate, I'd be like, well, I mean, use a spoon. But apparently the blood of a Slayer is an aphrodisiac. Did you know? I mean, it makes sense. I bet their blood's pretty good. It's special. Yeah. Well, it, it works for them. And after they're done, they go out and brag to Darla and Angel. But Angel doesn't seem to like this news. More questions are answered here in the corresponding Angel episode, but I was like, wait, Angel must be cursed at this time, right? Because it's 1900, and I knew he definitely yeah. got cursed at some point in the 1800s, which you confirmed for me, but then we later watched Angel and find out that he does have his curse here, which Darla knows, but they're hiding this from Spike and Drew, and Angel just, like, wants to get out of here. All this death is making him uncomfortable because he's recently starting to process his feelings about killing. And then there's this epic shot of all four of them like walking down this fiery street. I like it because Spike sort of unnecessarily like steps over a barrel. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a fun way to show that like he does things differently. Mm -hmm. Angel's hair is just like flowing. It's like, dude, cut it, comb it. <laughs> Again, back then, your hair didn't matter. It was all about your poetry. <laughs> <laughs> back in the bronze, he's telling Buffy that this was the best night of his life. Buffy's pissed that killing the Slayer was, like, hot for him. And he suggests that Buffy's maybe gotten so good that she's kind of started thinking she was immortal. Until she got hurt, that is. Which he reminds her of by punching her in the wound, which, of course, hurts his head. Again, so many people around watching all this happen. No one's gonna step in and be like, why'd you punch that lady? To be fair, at this point, I imagine, like, pretty much everyone in Sunnydale knows who Buffy is. And is like, she's got her own thing. I'm not really worried about her. She's probably gonna be fine. She's on a date with a vampire. And even though she's got a boyfriend. She does that all the time. <laughs> Doesn't Spike also sort of suggest, like, don't you also kind of get off on killing vampires? He does, yeah. 
And it's sort of like hypocritical. Now, when you say hypocritical, obviously vampires are evil, but she does still get like an exhilaration, like Faith heavily suggested in season three, and Buffy like wouldn't admit to from killing vampires. Right. Probably when Faith said that, Buffy wasn't as sexual as Faith or as Buffy is now. Because Buffy had only had sex with Angel like one time at that point. Yeah. And you're probably like not really understanding how to reconcile these emotions inside you. It's like the first, I remember being like 16 and like seeing a scene in a movie that was a sex scene and me being just like, I like this movie. I don't know why. <laughs> My dick is hard. I don't even, even know if I understood. I was just like, this movie's good, I think. <laughs> it's probably awful. It's Name of the Rose. There's like a bear, there's like a sex scene with a monk in it. I don't know. They take this to the parking lot, probably because they were asked to leave the bronze. <laughs> yeah. She wants to know how he killed the second Slayer. She wants to, like, act it out, I think. I think she wants him to, like, show her the actual choreography of the fight he had with her, which he's not into. But Spike says the question isn't how did I win, it's why did they lose. They've taken a pool cue outside with them, and there's a couple shots in here where it's clearly Spike's double where it didn't really need to be. We watched it a few times. He, like, lunges at her with a pool stick, and then she kind of kicks it away from him. It just didn't seem difficult. Yeah. Maybe they thought it was going to be, so they had the stunt doubles do it. I don't know. Just Spike's stunt doubles so much thicker than him. It's just so clear when it's not him. Yeah, totally. He also illustrates that he can like pretend to punch her if he knows she's going to be able to dodge it. It only hurts him if he's got the intent to hurt her. He tells her she's not ready to know how he killed the other Slayers, but she insists she is. And they're kind of fighting throughout this next part, and it's intercut with his fight with the second Slayer, which takes place in New York in the 70s. I thought this scene was cool. It is cool. He's fighting the Slayer on an empty, moving subway car. It says local, but it must be a very express train because it does not stop for a while. Yeah. I don't know, where's it going? All of this is when they're crossing uh, the East River. Yeah, maybe. Or like up Central Park. This is all for our five New York people. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be great if they just like, after the fight, they cut over to some of those Showtime guys. Just like, okay, so we, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Showtime guys in a long time, actually. Well, we ride the subway never anymore. I know, but I feel like I hadn't seen them. Yeah, it's true, but I feel like I was... Anyway, go ahead. I actually do think we have a decent amount of people listening in New York. I can see where you guys listen from. Did you know that? That's creepy. Stop freaking out our podcast (laughs) listeners. I don't know who specifically, but I can see where it's being downloaded. We can tell when and where you're asleep. (laughs) But yes, the scene is very cool. He's fighting the Slayer on the train. While he's also talking to Buffy in the present, but he's kind of doing some of the same moves when they cut between both. And in the 70s scene, he's like looking up and talking at a Buffy that we don't see as if he saw her back then. Kind of like talking to the camera. Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to explain, but it's done in an interesting way. Yeah. Spike was very punk rock back then. And the Slayer also has very cool pants. They're like bell bottoms with laced up sides. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just sad we didn't get to know more about the Slayer. She seemed cool. Yeah. He tells Buffy that she had a touch of Buffy's style, that she was cunning, resourceful, and hot, and that he could have danced with her all night. They keep calling what they're doing like a dance, like kind Mm -hmm. of him and Buffy's sparring. He says that Slayers are always wondering if today's going to be the day they die, and that part of them wants to die, partially to stop the fear of the uncertainty, but also that the idea of dying is kind of like romantic or poetic to them. Yeah. Like, they want to know what death is since they deal with death so much and, like, what's next for them. Kind of suggesting they want to die, too, because they know it's coming eventually. So, like, why not get it over with? It's all interesting, right? Because Buffy has died. Yes. Buffy went to her death knowing she was going to die in season one. Yeah. Interesting, right? 
She said, like, I don't want to die, but she still wins. And you can argue it was out of obligation or duty, but, like, maybe some part of her did. It is interesting because you live, like, a dangerous life where you know you could die, like, any night. It probably isn't quite as scary as it would be for us who have no plan on dying anytime soon. We're not doing anything. We're not even riding the subway where vampires can be. But, I mean, Spike will go on to give many reasons why she doesn't want to die, perhaps. As he's saying all this, the 70s Slayer has Spike pinned on the ground. She's like punching him. And then the lights on the train go out. And when they come back up, they've swapped positions. He's got her pinned down and then he snaps her neck. Spike emergency breaks the train. He steals her duster jacket, which might be the jacket he's wearing to this day. As he does this, he's looking up at the camera slash Buffy, telling her the only reason she's lasted this long is because she's got ties to the world, like her family, friends, specifically mentions Don, which is kind of funny to think that he also remembers that Buffy has a sister, even though she doesn't. Right. But he says sooner or later, she's going to want to die. And the second that happens, he like claps in her face and it snaps back to reality that he's going to be there to make it happen. Buffy doesn't like this. He then wants her to hit him for some reason. She doesn't. He's a bit all over the place with his emotions for her. So then he tries to kiss her. She's like, what? What now? That's not what we do. At least not in episodes that I'm myself for. Yeah. And he's like, come on. I know you want to. But she tells him that if what you're saying is true, and I do want this, it wouldn't be you. It would never be you. Does she mean like he wouldn't be the one to kill her? Because most recently he was talking about kissing her. But now it seems like she's circling back to the death thing. Yeah, I don't know. And I didn't quite follow the dialogue. It was a little confusing. But on her way out, she throws the money at him that she bribed him to do this with and tells him that he's beneath her. Oh, that makes me upset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know she was trying to hurt him, but I doubt he told her that detail of his story. So she just like randomly picked the worst insult she could have. He picks up the cash. He's like crying. Yeah. But he quickly collects himself into a proper rage and goes home, finds his gun, He's going to show Buffy. And Harmony's like, uh, you can't kill her without hurting yourself. Remember? Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this all along since he's had the chip. Like, he can hurt her. It'll just hurt him. Yeah, I mean, he can't even point a gun at, like, Xander previously. So... But he can. It just gives him a bad headache. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he tried to even point it at Xander. It'd be hard to shoot someone if it's just, like, a crazy headache. As soon That's as you true. Point- I want to say that the, the chip's intensity of pain is linked to the intensity of the harm he intends to do you want to say that like you want to point that out or you feel that i feel like that's true so like he could headbutt tara and it hurts him a lot but like if he tried to point a gun like in this one he says like to harmony like yeah i pull the trigger and it'd be like a headache for two weeks he says two hours no does he still two hours is a long time for a headache like i feel like most of his pain goes away after like a couple seconds yeah, but I do feel like that is the first time we're hearing how long it will hurt. I don't know if it's because of what he plans on doing specifically or if that's always how long it hurts. Harmony's trying to stop him, but she can't. She's like, fine, you had plenty of chances to kill her before you got the chip and you couldn't. What makes you think you can do it now? He doesn't like that either. Slams a door and then has a flashback to Drew in South America two years ago asking why he can't kill Buffy. He's like, what are you talking about? I don't even think about Buffy. And Drew says she sees Buffy floating all around him, just like the fishies, meaning she can tell that he's like obsessing over her. Now, Spike had previously said that Drew had left her for some gross demon who is there. It's just some giant guy in a suit with like dripping maple syrup antlers. (laughs) So funny. I love him, too, because he's all like, I had no idea, man. I could just. (laughs) (laughs) 
Seems like super nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's just like outside of a bar. He's like holding a beer or something. But Drew says she's only seeing other demons because she can see that Spike's heart lies with Buffy. So sounds like Spike was the asshole. Yeah. I like this, right? Because this is like kind of retrofitting Spike's emotions. So it wasn't just like the right. I mean, it is the case that the writers were like, let's make Spike fall in love with Buffy. That gives us something to do with him. But it's this like retrofitting like, no, he's been in love with Buffy. That's why he's obsessed with her. Right. And because he's evil, he's having trouble reconciling this. That's what's been going on for so long. Do you think that was their plan all along? I don't. I don't. I think this was the writers were like, how do we keep Spike around? We have a great idea. It's pretty well done, though. Absolutely. And it feels like it's from the beginning. But I feel like they would have thrown a couple of breadcrumbs of suggestions through season four if this had been the plan all along. Well, he came back in season three. Yeah, obsessed with Drew. Right. I don't know that maybe, I mean, if they didn't intend for it to happen, it wouldn't have been there. But you might, you could argue that in season three, he didn't even really realize he was obsessed with Buffy. Right. I'm just thinking that the writers would have shown us that he was obsessed with Buffy. But I I really liked this because it really like helps justify Spike's like, quote unquote, sudden love for Buffy. Yeah. Cut to Buffy's house. Joyce is packing. Turns out her illness might not be nothing. And she's going to be staying overnight at the hospital for observation and a CAT scan. She doesn't seem worried, but Buffy does. Buffy goes outside to process this on the back porch, and Spike comes along with his gun. He gets much closer than he needs to for shooting range. Buffy's like, what do you want? And suddenly his rageful face changes to a sweetie pie face, and he asks her what's wrong. She says she doesn't want to talk about it, but Spike asks if there's something he can do. and he This scene is so good. He's so genuinely concerned. And Buffy has this face that she does where her eyes get like real big, like she's holding back tears, but she's trying to be tough. Mm-hmm. I think she does it in the episode where she kills Angel. Mm-hmm. But Spike puts down his gun and sits down next to Buffy on the porch and pats her on the back. And they just kind of sit in silence together. So Buffy just sent Riley on the whole, an errand this whole episode to open the door with Spike, huh? Yeah. I, I love this scene. This is the first scene that for me like was like, okay, Spike really loves Buffy, and this isn't just being played for a joke. Sure. And I feel like it was really well done like emotionally. Like just the acting of him, like that moment, like what's wrong? Like, I don't know. I felt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens next because she isn't like, what the fuck? Why are you being nice? Well... It's interesting because we look at this scene as very sweet, right? Because Spike is, like, caring about her. But I I think what's funny is that this scene is very different for Buffy. Because she does not have any idea that he's in love with her. And she probably thinks he's being a jerk. Like, he's sort of making fun of her. Mm. I mean, why else would he stop by and put his hand on her shoulder and say, is there anything I can do? Like, she thinks that he is an evil monster who does not love her and does not care about her and wants her dead. So there's no way she thinks he's actually, like, trying to support her. Yeah, but, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's there to be mean to her either. I don't know. Um, we'll see, I guess, soon. Well, it's it's like, this. as far as she understands, any motivation Spike has is completely selfish. So there's no way in her mind that he's there for her. He's there at least either to get something from her and pretending to be nice, or he's sort of, like, mocking her. But she's also not, like, trying super hard to get rid of him. She kind of just lets it happen. Well, I think she's just totally overcome with emotion right now. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens next. Was this a good episode? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great episode. Some of the scenes were just filmed really cool, like that flashback with the um, Slayer on the subway. That was just, it looked cool visually, and, I don't know, just fighting on a subway in general was, like, kind of cool and fun. 
And the flashbacks were cool, giving us some more insight into some stuff. And then that last scene with Spike was just like really like, I don't know, you felt that, you know? Mm -hmm. The stuff with Riley is fucking weird. And, you know, he's going to be around forever, so don't worry about it. But like every time he's around, I'm like, are you done yet, man? Like what else do you have to say? What? Anyway, uh, it's very. I get Dean vibes every time he's there. I'm like, oh, you're okay. Yeah, you're you're okay. Yeah, uh huh. What's going on? <laughs> oh, man, it it is funny how he's like kind of paralleling with Dean right now. <laughs> you're just like, yeah, this storyline. Does anyone care? Anyone? Does anyone care about the storyline right now? We got hot, confident blonde in the wings. Can we uh, get rid of floppy hair, please? Yeah, can we get rid of this dude, please? Spike is Logan. Dean is Riley. I mean, that's how it feels right now. That's how it feels. Except I like Spike. <laughs> Well, um, you asked me how I feel. Did you like this episode? It did. It was good. I thought the scenes with Buffy and Spike, which is most of it. Yeah. But specifically like the 70s one where it was kind of overlapping with choreography and dialogue was cool. And the last scene's adorable. And I like seeing human Spike. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting information that he was like a totally different person as a human. Yeah. And we got to meet that woman that was mean to him. I hope we never see her again. I hope she's dead. I hope she's dead forever. Cecily? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck her. Because Angel and Angelus weren't crazy different people. Like, Angel was kind of a shitty person and then a really shitty vampire. Yeah. Or Spike was just, like, kind of a shitty vampire, but a nice little man. Mm-hmm. We recently learned in Angel that Darla was kind of maybe not a great human. Yeah, I'm certain of it. In that Darla episode, she, like, says as much. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she was, like, a murderer, but I suspect she was sort of, like, a a bad person. I kind of imagine her as like a Tenardier from Les Miserables. <laughs> but Spike was just like totally transformed by becoming a vampire. Like it yeah. freed him. Yeah. So that was interesting. Do you want to move on? Yeah. I just cannot wait to get to my favorite part of the podcast. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 5, Episode 7, Sympathy for the Demon, Barbus, the demon of fear, returns stealing Cole's powers and again battles the Charmed Ones using their darkest fears against them. Okay, couple things. So the last episode ended with Phoebe using some eyes that they stole from a demon named Cree's father to get her and Cole's powers back, which they had lost when they were killed by a siren and then a boy who could draw cartoons and bring them to life, brought them to life, but they came back to life without their powers. You you remember all that, right? Yeah, yeah. So this episode must start with her successfully giving them their powers back and then Cole immediately has them stolen? Yeah, I mean, come on, Cole. Come on, on, Cole. Um, But fun fact... I have no record of this fear demon. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> you said his name. And I was like, what a dumb name. And then he's like, back again, again? What? I have kept extensive logs for this very moment, knowing like oh, someone's going to come back and we're going to have to be like, what the fuck? But um, I searched fear. I searched demon. Did you search Barbus? Not yet. I'll search Barbus. I'm guessing he's a demon with like a big beard. Yeah, so this episode, Barbus shows up and he's like, I'm back again to torture you with your fears. And then what's crazy is that they're all like, oh, yeah, we remember you, Barbus. And Barbus is like, you do, though, right? You remember me. And it turns out Barbus's biggest fear is like being insignificant. Mm-hmm. And like he ends up just like shrinking down like it in the movie It Part Two. And then they just like put him in a little Polly Pocket game. You know, those Polly Pockets. Yeah. And that's where he lives now. 
But he does first use their darkest fears against them. He tries to, but like they're kind of over it. Their, their darkest fears aren't that dark. No, they're they've dealt with so much. What could their yeah. fears be? I mean, Phoebe's darkest fear is the dark. So yeah. like whatever. He just turns mm-hmm. off the light. She's like, okay, I can reach the light switch, Barbus. Barbus is like, oh, just like last time. She's like, is it? I don't remember last yeah, time. Yeah, right, last time. And Piper's like biggest fear is like the drawer at the club being under. Yeah, when you mean under, like, not having enough money in it. Yeah, like, maybe one of the bartenders stole five bucks. So he steals five bucks, and she's like, oh, man, fuck it, now I gotta fire Tad. So she fires Tad, but no big deal. She didn't like Tad. Yeah. And, of course, you know, who's the other one? Paige's biggest fear is turtles. She does not like turtles. We didn't talk about it, but in that mermaid adventure episodes, like, turtles played a bigger part than we alluded to. Mm -hmm. So this is probably actually, like, the scariest moment because he he does sick a pretty scary turtle on her. Just to be clear, he's uh, not pretty scary. He's uh, pretty, comma, scary. So it's, like, a very attractive, but scary (laughs) turtle. It's got lipstick on, a little wig. Again, it is just the turtle. So, you know, Leo just, like, catches it with his teeth and throws it back in the river. Yeah, where it does very well for itself. Uh, it is very pretty. <laughs> but if I'm being honest, it's poetry, not very good. So his long-term relationships don't really last. So Cole eventually goes up to a little bitty fear demon, just like the little fear demon in Buffy. Buffy, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, hey, man, tell you what, you give me back my powers or I'm never going to open this Polly Pocket again. Uh, and he's like, all right, fine, gives him back his powers. And then he gives him Polly Pocket and he plays with it once a week. <laughs> I wonder if Charm just like forgot that the fear demon was in Buffy and not in Charmed. Yeah, probably. Okay, well, it was kind of a funny one. Yeah. That turtle was so pretty. So pretty. Couldn't string any words together though, but very pretty. Beautiful. Anyway, this has been Meanwhile Uncharmed. Guys, because both Buffy and Gilmore Girls celebrate brave, confident women, for this episode, we have partnered with Davy Piper. That's right. Davy Piper is a woman's clothing company that's committed to empowering women and celebrating their unique stories just like our shows. They specialize in ultra-comfortable bras, undies, sleepwear, activewear, and loungewear. And let me tell you, since I've started working from home, whether I'm working or relaxing, loungewear is pretty much all I'm rocking. I got myself a pair of the Everyday Lounge Joggers, super soft, super lightweight, perfect for sitting back with a glass of wine to watch a show or sitting at my desk to edit the podcast. They are soft, and Davy Piper's products feature premium, super soft fabrics like bamboo and organic I also got the Grace Ribbed Wire-Free Lounge Bra. You were immediately drawn to that, weren't you? I was, you know, because it was soft and because it empowers you. It does. That's why I liked it. And Davy Piper caters to hard-to-fit sizes, including special busty sizing for E through I cups. For flattering classic styles with a modern twist, visit DavyPiper.com. And don't forget to use the discount code GILMORESLAYER to save 20% on your purchase. Buffy and the Gilmore Girls would. Yeah, and, and Xander might too. I don't know. <laughs> Then we watch Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us all about You Jump, I Jump, Jack. Are you fucking ready? I'm so ready. We didn't really talk about your thoughts much, so I'm excited to hear what you think. Okay, so this episode is about Luke trying to bond with Lorelai's parents. It's also about Rory pursuing her story about the life and death brigade and spending some time with Logan. Mm -hmm. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. So the episode starts with Emily immediately confronting Lorelai about having another secret boyfriend. 
Emily had called the inn, and after a wild series of events, it led to Kirk mentioning that Lorelai was probably at her boyfriend Luke Dane's house. Insane that somehow she talked to Kirk by calling the inn. But. Yeah, and like Lorelai is like flabbergasted that she talked to Kirk. So this is like a super funny line from Lorelai, because Lorelai is like, I'm just thrown because you're talking about Kirk, and Kirk is like, from my world, not yours. That's like if I had talked to one of your friends, like Mrs. Van Uppity, and Emily's like, who? Because this is not a real person. She was making him up. And then Lorelai's like, you know, Hortense Van Uppity, tight bun, lace collar, tiny poodle, fictional friend. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, Emily insists that Lorelai reintroduce her to Luke and set up a dinner. Because she has met Luke before, but we need like a proper boyfriend introduction. Unless he's a passing ship. Yeah, she makes it clear like, is he a passing ship or is this going to be a guy I need to know about? She's like, well, yeah, he's not a passing ship. This is an important relationship. The scene was also just beautifully bookended by this honking thing. Like, Lorelai's late because she was honking at cars that got mad. And then at the end, Rory's like, honk of Emily Gilmore views your mind as her personal playground. And Lorelai's like, honk. That was a good cold open. Yeah, it was a good, it was a really good one. Later, Lorelai tells Luke the bad news about meeting her parents. And she is very melodramatic about it. But Luke is like, this is no big deal. Meeting the parents is part of the territory. So she reluctantly agrees that they will set up a dinner date. And when they go to Emily's, Luke is, like, trying to be nice. Even though it's clear he's got some, like, issues with the ultra-wealthy. He kind of makes some comments about that when he walks in. It's really funny. He introduces himself to the maid. He's like, hi, I'm Luke. And the maid is like, I'm the maid? (laughs) Didn't anyone tell Luke that maids only survive for about one episode tops? (laughs) I don't have a name while I'm at work. (laughs) Lorelai is, like, super dreading this dinner. And, like, when they get there, she's constantly pushing for drinks. Like, really. Like, we got to drink a lot. Drink often. Somebody's got to drive home. Yeah. Luke and the audience, I think, are supposed to think that she's overreacting. But it becomes clear that Emily is, in fact, as terrible as Lorelai suggests that she is. Like, Emily just keeps, like, slyly insulting Luke while, like, seeming like she's complimenting him. She does little things. Like, when they get there, she offers Lorelai fancy drinks, but immediately already has a beer poured for Luke. Luke thinks that's really nice, but Lorelai's like, no, that's like an insult. That's like a dumb person drink. (laughs) Luke, the drink you wanted is a dumb person drink. She even says, like, it almost makes me want to have a beer myself. And he says, like, oh, you can have some of mine. And you could just tell Emily's like, that's, we don't share fucking drinks. Yeah. Like, that's an insane proposition. It's funny, too, because Luke at some point calls Lorelai out for, like, overreacting and acting kind of crazy. But it's like, dude, you just acted completely insane two episodes ago during your dinner date with Dean and Rory. Yeah. Like, yeah. you should be at least say, like, hey, I know I've been a bit much before. Yeah, Emily leaves the room and they kind of have a check-in where Luke's like, what are you doing? I'm fine. And Lorelai's like, no, she's being awful to you. He's like, you're making me look weak. But Lorelai's not being crazy at all. Super nice Emily returns and immediately starts super nicely grilling Luke about his divorce and about his dirty, gross diner. Yeah. (laughs) She starts talking shit about diners and she found out that some diners serve roadkill, but probably not Luke's, but some do. And also like people that go to diners are gross people who like don't even want to look at the food because they don't know what they're getting. She's got to know this is awful. (laughs) She's like... I think she does. She's saying all this while, like, smiling this big shit-eating grin the whole time. It's crazy how, like, and funny, very funny, how incredibly condescending she just asks him, would you like another beer, Luke? (laughs) (laughs) Right before that, he was, like, about to take a sip of beer, and you could tell there was a moment where he was like, 
I don't want her to associate me with this beer anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the worst part, I think, is when they go to leave. I feel like this had to be intentional. Emily sees Luke's car and just says, oh, some workman has left his filthy truck on our clean driveway. And Luke is like, "Uh, yeah, it's mine. And she's like, oh, it's rustic, which is how she described his restaurant. His coat is simple cloth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. she's like, oh, I love your coat. It's a simple cloth. So Luke finally sees Lorelai's point. Uh, Emily is a monster. Lorelai admits that she's good because Luke's like, she never like really directly said anything badly about me, but somehow made me feel so bad. I kept thanking her. (laughs) He was very polite. He did a good job. He did. But Luke's fun is not over. Richard hears about Emily meeting Luke, and he also wants to re-meet Luke. It's his duty, I guess. So he calls Luke and steamrolls the entire conversation, forcing Luke into meeting him for a round of golf, even though Luke, like, golfed once in school, and, like, he doesn't know how to golf. Lorelai tries to call Richard to have him cancel, but Richard refuses. He says he needs to re-meet Luke, and even says it's not about having fun. This is protocol. And Lorelai's like, fine, have a good protocol, Dad, and hangs up. <laughs> That's really funny. This is not about fun. At the club, Richard doesn't even recognize Luke right away. He even says, like, oh, I don't remember you being this tall. Luke apologizes for being tall, I guess. This is such a funny visual moment where they're both just kind of, like, awkwardly looking around for each other. Yeah, I mean, Luke can tell that it's Richard. I think he's just, like, waiting for Richard to recognize him. Mm. Poor Luke is trying so hard to impress Richard and Emily. Luke's just getting tossed around like a rag doll this episode. Yeah, Luke mentions that he's going to rent some clubs, and Richard is like, oh, no, that's a waste of money. You got to own them. Let's go buy some new clubs that you're never going to fucking use. Because <laughs> Luke sucks at golf. But he's like, okay, yeah, sure. Later, he's like, yeah, I had to buy some golf clubs. Uh, they cost the same as a car. That was <laughs> really funny. Luckily, Luke is, I think, pretty wealthy. Yeah, I think he's not poor. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't live like he's wealthy, but I think Luke low-key has a ton of money. Yeah. So it's not like a huge inconvenience that he's making him buy these. Yeah, but if you're even if you have a lot of money, you're not like throwing car money around for no reason for something yeah, you're not yeah, going to yeah. use. Uh, well, anyway, it doesn't go well because he's super bad at it. And Richard is he's like worse sort than of a Jason. Yeah, and Jason was like uncomfortable with how much better Richard was than he was. Like he used to like practice golf all the time. So like this is just like oof. You can just tell in Richard's face that he doesn't like how bad Luke is at this. Lucas is, like, relying completely on his, like, caddy to, like, let him know which golf club to use, but also, like, what hobbies he should have. <laughs> At some point, he has to come up with a hobby, and he's, like, reading. I read. And, like... Yeah, he's like, give me a hobby, quick. <laughs> which, I don't know how Richard didn't hear. There's no way Richard didn't hear that. It's, like, two feet from him. And, of course, Richard is a big reader, so he's like, what are you reading? And Luke can't think of anything. He's, like, desperately trying to remember a book. He's like, ah, uh, you know, Dick, uh, Dick something. The sci-fi guy, Dick. This is a great Richard line. Yeah, Super funny, Richard Lund. He can't think of the guy's name. And then Richard says, well, I'll just bring up Dick on the internet and see what comes up. (laughs) Such a, oh, grandpa's in the internet. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure Luke is trying to remember the author Philip K. Dick, which was like a famous sci-fi author who wrote Blade Runner, Scanner Darkly, a bunch of other uh, classic sci-fi books. I used to read a ton of Philip K. Dick. Loved him. Anyway. We have some. We do. I love to, when Luke's trying to golf, it's very subtle, but he kind of just mumbles to himself. Okay, ball goes down here. (laughs) (laughs) doesn't remember where the ball goes. Afterward, Luke calls Lorelai from the driving range. He is super drunk, and he's practicing because he doesn't want to embarrass Richard again. Apparently, they had hit the club bar up after playing, and he didn't want to order a beer because he knows how Richard and Emily look at people who drink beer. So he ordered a fancy drink, and it got him very drunk. The fact that you're calling anything but beer a fancy drink makes you a Luke. (laughs) That's true. They were just having, like, martinis before. (laughs) This was, like, a whiskey something. 
so his day has been bad, and he's like, now because of Richard, Luke has an art dealer and an incredibly expensive set of golf clubs, and he's also going to franchise his business? Richard, like, talked him into franchising his business. At first, it's like suggesting it, but then it's like, no, you should do it. I'm going to set you up to do it. And also, like, really pushed him to get a shave. It's funny, Luke's like, he wants to shave me? <laughs> I love when Richard's, like, telling him how to set up the franchise. Yeah. He's like, hey, you need a, an IPO, whatever that is. But Luke, like, acts like he knows what that is. He's like, yeah, yeah, IPO, got to get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> His conversation with Lorelai is so funny. I love drunk Luke. We don't see it yeah. often, but he's just like, I don't think I could drive. He can't go back in the club because his art dealer's in there chatting with his rare coin guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, all right, then just sit in your car. He's like, okay, I like the valet guy. So it's very funny that he can like relate to the blue collar. <laughs> yeah. This scene was great. It was really funny. When Richie gets home, Emily confronts him at his pool house door, and she's angry for encouraging the Luke and Lorelai relationship. She doesn't think he's good enough for her or for Rory. Richard says, oh, Emily, you're being a snob. But then Richard goes on to explain what he did that day. He thinks that this is maybe inevitable that they're going to date. So he's decided he's going to try to, like, rehabilitate Luke as far as appearances for their family. Yeah, give him some credibility. Yeah, like, that's the only reason he's like, you got to franchise all of this. So that they can just slap his face on the cover of this, like, business. But he doesn't trust Luke to run it. But he can, like, be the face of it. That's why he's got to fucking shave. And then they can, like, legitimately take him places if he's a franchise owner. Yeah. If he owns all these companies, then he can bring him to the club on holidays. But even then, it's like, you know, you can go to church on Christmas. <laughs> exactly. But interestingly enough, they both seem to hate this relationship a lot. And they've thought about it before. It seems like they've seen this coming. The whole fucking town has, so it's not surprising that they saw this coming. Yeah, I think Emily called it a long time ago. Yeah. Although when she called it a long time ago, it seemed like she was maybe encouraging of it. Mm -hmm. But now she's like, no, this is the worst thing's ever happened. When Luke brought Lorelai to the hospital, when Richard was in the hospital. Yeah, and also when Luke brought her ice at Rory's birthday. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they both hate this, and maybe this will be something they can bond over? Maybe. Is their mutual hatred of Luke going to be what brings them back together? Wouldn't that be romantic? Uh, yeah, in a weird, terrible person way, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of new relationships, I'm good at transitions. <laughs> Zach is super awkwardly hanging outside Luke's diner to tell Lane he's ready to date now. He just needed some processing time, I guess. He's, like, super nervous and unsuring himself around Lane now. They're both, like, bumbly idiots, but specifically Zach. It's just, like, he's love-struck hard now. I don't know. So they decided they're going to have date night at home. So he picks her up. At her bedroom door. Aww. And then takes her to their couch. <laughs> now this I can relate to after three years of quarantine. <laughs> I feel like it's date night in the living room. Yeah, let's watch what we were watching last night, baby. I can relate to so much of this. Lane compliments his pants and he's like, yeah, I got them from the bottom drawer. I forgot I had them. That's <laughs> true. Sometimes you wear different pants. I'm like, those are cool pants. And you're like, yeah, I just haven't worn them in six years. Yeah, they fit me at different fluctuations of my weight. And right now they fit. I rediscovered them. It's been a while since you got out new pants, baby. Everything is going great for their sweet little relationship until Cockblock Brian shows up and sits between them to watch TV. Genius butt wiggle. <laughs> yeah, just squidging in between them. It's so fun. There's, there's not room for him. No yeah. one would do this but a TV show. When I was saying I could relate to this, so we had a similar living situation. This is where the improv group comes into play. Uh-huh. Okay, so Stacy and I both live together with another friend of ours. 
So three of us were living together, two of us were dating, and we were also in not a band like Lane, Brian, and Zach, but in an improv troupe, which was not a small part of our life. We were performing four times a week, at least. We were also doing, like, we were getting hired out to perform at, like, corporate events and stuff. So we performed a lot. We practiced a lot. We taught classes together. So my point is that our lives are very intertwined. Here's a call. And so it was, I mean, it wasn't not a call. It wasn't, it wasn't not like a call. It wasn't like a cold call, but, like, it had a lot of culty qualities. Mm-hmm. That was our uh, slogan. We've got culty qualities. Uh, so this situation is a little, in, you know, I'm like, oh, kind of, I've kind of, we've sort of been here. Except I was Zach, not Brian, which is weird. Right. I was Lane. But roommate wasn't Brian either. She was chill. No, our roommate was super cool. Honestly, I'm not even kidding. No exaggeration. Maybe the nicest person I've ever met. Yes. She was also in a relationship, not like awkwardly alone like Brian. Brian in the show, not Brian, who is Zach in the story. Right. She was in a relationship, so eventually she spent most of the time in his house. Yes. So we could kind of relate to the awkwardness of this, like, three people living together, two people are dating, and their lives are very much in sync with each other. But I feel like we luckily had our own room. So if we were like, hey, let's go to our own room, and, you know, we weren't sleeping in bunk beds in the living room. But as Lane is about to point out, they're not at a, we're sharing a room phase of their relationship yet. Exactly. They tell Brian that they're on a date. Brian's like so sadly like, well, where, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> then Lane suggests that he could hang out in her room. And he like instantly is in love with that idea. And this, he's like very excited about it. This should be a red flag, I feel like. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, Brian, can you get the door ajar? And like also don't touch any of my dirty laundry. If he wasn't so openly excited about it, it would be concerning. Yeah, he's just like, oh, your room. Oh, it smells nice in here. It's like, you need to calm down, man. <laughs> it's like the one room in their apartment with the door is probably exciting. That's true. But this is where Zach is like, should we leave it empty? Yeah, Zach is like, should we let him in there? Maybe we should leave it empty in case the date goes well. And Lane's like, go to my room, Brian. It's fine. Yeah, like being like, I don't think we're going there yet, Zach. Yeah, I mean, Zach is used to like floozy women who come up to him in pairs after shows. So I'm not surprised that he doesn't know what the sex timeline is for most people. Yeah. They watch the rest of Stop Making Sense, which is a Talking Heads concert, if you didn't know. They have some pizza and they have a really good time. Then Zach walks her home. To her bedroom door, <laughs> where Brian is hard asleep on her bed. Zach, very chivalrous. Zach, very shiv- Zach, very chivalrous. <laughs> Zach, very chivalrously. <laughs> Zach, like a big boy, picks Brian up and carries him out of the room. I thought that was going to the outtakes, but that's all going in. <laughs> chivalrous. Chival- Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Chivalrous. Chivalrous. Oh, 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 what were you chivalrous. saying? Chivalrous. 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 That's, chivalrous. Uh, but you got to put the L-Y in there, baby. Chivalrously. Well, I'm sorry? Chiv- <laughs> it's not easy when it's an adverb. Chivalrously. Well, that's our firstborn's name. <laughs> He's out there. We already named him. This is a while ago. It's a that's boy. Why it's, it's hard for me to say because I get emotional. <laughs> Wait a minute, he picks up Brian and carries him out of the room. And then, with Brian over his shoulder, he kisses Lane goodnight. It's nice. You like the date? Uh, it's whatever. I am okay. not emotionally invested in them at all, honestly. We didn't talk about this at all, Lane and Zach's relationship. I don't, I don't think we discussed our thoughts on this. I don't care. Like, it's something for Lane to do, but I don't like Zach. I think I like Zach, but I don't think this relationship is earned. Like, I don't buy the chemistry. 
Yeah, well, lack of chemistry, man. Zach and her have no chemistry. That's as what far I mean. They're, they're telling us they like each other, but I've seen no clues of that other than Lane being jealous. You know right. what I mean? That there's just yeah. no like actual flirtation ever. And Zach, I mean, Zach's an asshole, and I'm fine with that. Characters can be assholes, but like, it's hard for me to root for an asshole. Says the guy who wants Rory to be with Jess, but it's it's. I don't know. He's an asshole and he's dumb. That's the thing. If he was an asshole and smart, I'm like, all right, but how am I supposed to root for you when you're dumb and an asshole? Yeah, I don't dislike him as a character. I think he gets funny lines and he plays the character well. But I Yeah, don't. yeah. Maybe it'll, I, I don't exactly remember what happens next. Maybe it'll feel better, but like, uh, it, it doesn't feel earned. Yeah. And they, it's weird that they don't address Dave. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel like I would like to see more of, like, Lane struggling to understand why she likes Zach. She does it, like, a little bit in a previous episode on the phone with Rory, but I really want her yeah. to be like, why do I like this guy? That guy's a moron. It might have been interesting to, like, draw that out more yeah. and try to figure out what it is. Or, like, have him fall for her. Yeah. Because it was kind of just, like, she told him she liked him, and then he's like, okay, I'll abandon my dating two women at one time ways and settle down for you. Which is crazy because I want to see him struggle with that. Because I bet that's not easy to be like, yeah, I'm pulling two girls a night right. who are ready for anything. And I'm going to give that all up for a complicated relationship with a friend. Whose mom won't like this. Yeah. Not that I couldn't have, but I'd like to see more of like Zach like realizing he's falling for her or something. Yeah. It's an interesting relationship to say that. I, well, the date was interesting though. Yeah. It was cute. Speaking of interesting dates. <laughs> my thing rory is also having an interesting date this episode it's not a date uh okay yeah it's not it's not research yeah 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 it's research dean's off hunting vampires (laughs) rory's got to get to the bottom of some stuff it's the same it's buffy it's the same it's the same story so dean and rory are still having trouble finding time to spend together He's working all the time. She's desperately trying to get ahead in her journalism career. There's a scene where Rory plays a voicemail from Dean where he's trying to figure out when their schedules will work, that they can have dinner. Meanwhile, she's looking at a letter from Logan that's explaining that he's ready to take her away to learn more about the Life and Death Brigade, which she's trying to do a story on. But it comes with a blindfold. She's got to be blindfolded and wait at a certain location. And this scene just kind of reminded me of scenes from season two and three where Rory is like dating Dean, but clearly has a wandering eye. Like, for instance, there's that scene in the first episode of season two where Rory is in D.C. and she's got like five letters from Dean. And she wakes up and she like pushes all those letters to the side and we see that she's trying to write Jess a letter. Mm -hmm. And then there's that picnic, uh, pick a basket, tasket, trisket episode. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. In that episode, she's at... Friday night dinner telling Emily and her mother that she's not dating Jess. She doesn't want anything to do with Jess. But then that night she calls Jess. You think maybe she's going to call Dean, but she calls Jess. I feel like that's what this is. Where she's like, yeah, I'm dating Dean. But like my heart is looking for something else. Now you could argue that this is this is a story. But it just feels like it's more than just a story. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I don't think Rory at this point when she's getting the letter has any feelings for Logan. I don't know that that stays true the whole episode. But I, I don't I don't think she's seeing him as a love interest. I agree with you that she's not like actively, consciously being like, I am going to go for Logan. But I do think that like a little part of her is like excited about interactions with Logan for more than just the story possibilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. It's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Her option is to go have 
diner dinner somewhere in the middle of nowhere with Dean or go God knows where with this rich, mysterious man. Yeah. Same with Riley and Spike and Buffy. Just think about how mundane the voice message is from Dean. Like, oh, I got to work. Got to find time to hang out. And then you have this like secret society get together. Like, it's just so much more exciting. Yeah, I'm going with Logan. Yeah. So Rory gets kidnapped by Logan and his friends, which includes Gorilla Mask Girl and his like melodramatic friend Finn. Who's a vampire? What's going on with him? Yeah, he doesn't like the sun. They're like, it's four. It's like, it's too bright. <laughs> uh, he, I'm excited to find out more about him. He seems very crazy. They drive Roy to a secret location in the woods where the society is having like a outing or their meeting. I don't know how often they do this, but they're having one of their get-togethers. And they've got all kinds of fancy tents set up and lanterns and candles and like a big like uh, smorgasbord table with all kinds of food on it. Logan informs Rory this is going to be overnight, which she didn't previously know. Right. It kind of seems like a rich person safari or like it's like when people do like a Civil War reenactment, but Mm. they're reenacting like a rich person safari. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So Rory, I I don't know. I have some thoughts about this. It actually made me mad, especially rewatching it. Okay. So I'm looking at all this and it's frustrating because like these kids are just dumb, privileged, rich people kids. Mm -hmm. And all of this stuff is unearned. It's just somebody else set this up for them. Somebody else is paying for it. They aren't doing anything to earn. This isn't like a reward for something they did. Maybe this bothers me specifically because I was a Boy Scout. Eagle Scout. (laughs) I am an Eagle Scout. Thank you. And I remember setting up my own campsite, setting up my own tent, pounding stakes into the ground and like putting up the tent, taking it down, cleaning it out drying it, putting it away. All of this stuff takes forever. Helping other people with their tent, teaching them how to do it, setting up my own fires, making our own food. They didn't do any of this. You know they didn't set any of this stuff Who up. Who did it, though? Because it's very secret. I'm assuming they paid some like people to do it. And then leave? Yeah. Sure. There's no way these rich... Do you think Logan set up any of those tents? There's no way. No, because they got there and it was set up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, someone else did this all for them. And again, this would be fine. If you earned your own money and you wanted to do this, that's fine. Whatever. But these are just rich kids who are just like celebrating their opulence and wealth. It just really bothered me. And it's supposed to be romantic, I know, watching this. And it's like, yeah, but like they didn't earn any of this shit. Sure. Anyway, I know it's magical from Rory's perspective. I think that's what's important. But the unearned opulence on display here just really comes across as gross to me. But I think what's interesting about the rest of what you're going to talk about is Rory, like, really seeing this for the first time. Yeah. Because this is the life she could have had if her mom didn't leave her parents' house. Yeah. I think that's interesting that Rory's discovering this. Mm -hmm. She thinks she'll hate this, but it doesn't seem like she hates it. No, I don't think she does. Rory walks around trying to get information about the group for her article. Most people are just ignoring her or just, like, not really answering. There's, like, some fun bits. Like, one group of people are playing a game where they just don't use the letter E. That looked kind of fun. And actually, it was doubly impressive when you put the subtitles on. Yeah, they're not supposed to use the letter E, but no one said they had to talk like old-timey people. (laughs) They're just, like, really using eloquent words. Well, I mean, I think there's only so many words you can use. (laughs) Like, you've got a daft girl. They call her, like... I don't know. There was like one time where they called her something where they could have said like crazy, but they said. Yeah, but it seemed kind of fun. And Gorilla Girl is there and she does let it slip that the group doesn't have like a leadership structure. She's also a bit drunk and mentions that Logan is cute and has a long line of suitors. 
She also suggests that she thinks Rory is a bit of a good girl. And she says good girl kind of the same way that Emily says the word beer when offering one to Luke. (laughs) Sure. She's not getting many interviews, but she's got a bunch of information written down. Eventually, Logan lays out the rest of the conditions of their agreement. Their agreement being that he tells her about this, but there's conditions. Some of the conditions are that she has to give up her camera. He takes that. She also has to keep all their names and locations completely anonymous. And also, she cannot interfere with the integrity of the event, which is very important, especially the next day when everyone else is dressed up in fancy suits and dresses. But Rory's clothes are just normal, and they're going to interfere with the integrity of the event. Luckily, Logan has provided a fancy dress for her to wear. A dress that fits her perfectly. He even says, like, well, I've got an eye for dress sizes. That's uh, weird. That's, that, that was a red the weirdest flag. part of the yeah. episode. What? What does that mean? No no man should have an eye. I don't have an eye for dress sizes. A lot of times I'll just be on the subway and I'll look at a girl and try to figure out her dress size. Uh, it's a normal, not creepy thing. What size dress do you think I wear? You don't even know what numbers are for dress sizes. Okay, I know what numbers are. I, I know you know what numbers are. <laughs> but you don't know what sizes women wear. Take it, What size dress do you, you think wear? You wear a two. I probably could wear two. Oh yes i probably don't wear two but i probably have worn a two you have worn a two i know you're doing threes right now you just know that two is like a dress size that skinny women could wear Wait, let me get this straight i guess right and i'm i'm fuck me (laughs) (laughs) you couldn't do this brian you did it but fuck you if i gained a little weight what size dress would i wear you would wear like a three and a half (laughs) no 3B. See, this is what I mean. You just know that two is like, oh, she's she wears two. Okay. Well, if you gain a little weight, what would you wear? Like a four or a six. There's no odd numbers. And there's definitely no halves. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, trust me. There's odd numbers if you order online. <laughs> Wait. Dress sizes don't have odd numbers? No. What? Sometimes it's like small, medium, large. Like I just ordered some dresses to wear to that wedding. And yeah. I ordered some smalls and some mediums, not knowing which one I would be. Yeah, sizes are normally like zero, two, four, six, eight. Even numbers all the way up. Okay, that's nonsense. What do you wear, like a seven? Yeah, seven and a half. All right, I'm giving up. I don't know how to do any of this. I don't have an eye for any of this shit. No, there's no way Logan does either. That was an insane line. So Logan dresses her up. (laughs) It's really intimate. So now that they're dressed appropriately, Logan takes Rory to the big event where there's a speech, a toast, a gong, the gorilla mask, a bizarre polo where women play while men carry them around in carriages, and also there's an event where people are shooting paintballs at human clay pigeons. Honestly, this all looks really fucking fun. Um, (laughs) It does. Yeah, I wrote down wacky lawn games and frivolity. Yeah, it just, they did zero work for this fun. Right. It reminds me of when you and I went to Governor's Island for the first time. Yeah, I thought about this. And it just Happened to be the weekend of the annual Jazz Age lawn party. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, Governor's Island is like this island that you can only get to, for the most part, by ferry south of Manhattan. And we're on this ferry. We're going there for the first time. We heard it's a great place to walk around. And there's just all these people dressed like flappers in like really fancy 1920s garb. We're like, what's happening? Like a wedding? Someone famous getting married? It's an annual thing where people go and like swing dance with like very authentic music and outfits. And it's it was really cool. We just like sat and watched it. We're like, this is such happenstance that we just like decided to go to this place on the day they're having this cool event. Yeah, it was super fun. I'm glad we saw that. It felt magical, much like this. And this was magical. Very magical. Rory mentions that she knows there's going to be a big stunt because the Life and Death Brigade always does this. And this year, 
It's a giant jump off of some scaffolding. Six people are placed in harnesses, and then they jump off the scaffolding, holding umbrellas, and then the harnesses, like, slow their descent. But they still, it's kind of like bungee jumping, except there's no bungee part. Roy keeps asking when this big event is going to reveal itself. But, like, were they hiding this giant structure? How did she not notice it? Well, they are in the woods a little bit, so maybe it's sort of... But this part's in, like, a meadow. Maybe they walk to a different area? Yeah, it seems hard to miss. Logan is going to be doing this, and there's one spot available because Finn has hurt himself when he was a human clay pigeon. And Logan says that Rory should do it. And Rory's like, I can't do it because I'm a journalist. And journalists observe. They don't participate. That's the way it's always been forever. Logan kind of rolls his eyes at this and then gives a bunch of examples of journalists who did participate in different events that they were reporting on. A couple interesting things about this. The first one is, I think this is supposed to be telling us that Logan is very smart. Like, I think they've alluded to that before. Cut into Yale. I mean, he's rich, but still. Yeah, but also it could be the case that Logan just knows a lot about newspapers and journalism because of his dad. Mm-hmm. So right now, I couldn't tell you which way it is. But I think the show is trying to tell us he's very intelligent. But secondly, this also kind of bothered me a little bit because the show this season has a couple times mentioned people involved in the new journalism movement. Namely, the last episode was named after Norman Mailer. He was in the episode a lot. And Lorelai mentions that Rory's a big fan of his. And he's part of the new journalism movement. And the new journalism movement does allow and encourage journalists to get involved and immerse themselves in the stories they're reporting on. So it's like weird that Rory's like, they never get involved. That's how it's always been. It's like, there's, I mean, you're a fan of somebody who gets involved. I think we've kind of learned that Rory doesn't fucking know what she's talking about when it comes to journalism. Like, she's always like surprised to learn things that she should absolutely know. Like how she didn't know she needed to do extracurriculars to get into Harvard. Yeah. I mean, Logan straight up calls her sheltered in like three seconds. and Maybe she is. She just like isn't yeah. doing her research on some of this stuff. Which, I mean, I'm not saying I knew what the fuck I was doing career-wise when I was her age. Right. But Rory's, like, ultra-focused on, like, her career and, mm-hmm. like, school. So it's surprising that she wouldn't know these things. But also, like, this kind of stuff about new journalism was, like, taught in my journalism classes. So, like, there's no way they're not taught in hers. Now, I'm going to take a step back, and I'm just going to be fair, okay? Number one, Rory is maybe just looking for any excuse not to risk her life with some makeshift bungee jump contraption thrown together by a bunch of drunk rich kids with no leadership system. That's true. Okay. So she might just be grasping at any straw, and she was hoping that Logan didn't know about new journalism. Yeah. And this is a good excuse. Turns out he does, and she's fucked. So fine. I will admit that that is a possibility. Logan tries to convince her to do it and mentions that she needs to do it because she seems a bit sheltered. He goes on to say, it'll be fun. It'll be a thrill. Something stupid. Something bad for you. And at this point, I don't know if he's talking about the jump or like they're dating because I feel like it applies to both. It feels like both, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it'll, it's a dumb, stupid thing, you know, dating me. Like, I'm pretty sure that this is what he's talking about. I don't know that he knows that he's talking about it, but I think the show is letting us think that. Does that make sense? Yes. I think the show is like hanging out with Logan and right now it's just hanging out. It's innocent on paper right now, but like- This is an option for you. Yeah. So Rory's like, fine, I'll do it. Everyone keeps reassuring her that it's like totally safe, that they tested it on potatoes. There's nothing to worry about. And at the top, Logan says like, you know, she can back out. No one's forcing her. But at this point, it's sort of like, okay, look, she was pretty nudged to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. you're like putting the harness on you and it's like, you could back out. Like, okay, yeah, I'm going to climb down the ladder in front of all these people. What about you can live 100 years without really living for a minute? You can climb up here with me. It's one less minute you haven't lived. 
Oh, is that like tattooed on your wrist or something? It's probably tattooed on some people, honestly. Oh, for sure. People have Anomnia Paratus tattoos. That's like a very common Gilmore Girls tattoo. Dude, I have seen some dumb Buffy tattoos. I'm sorry if you have them. I've seen some great Buffy tattoos. I've seen some when I'm like, that is your favorite quote from the show? <laughs> but anyway, Rory gets up there. Everyone, like even right before they like tie it onto her, they're like, this is totally safe. <laughs> she jumps. It is safe. It's awesome it's super romantic and when she hits the ground the guy who read it all up goes oh thank god (laughs) which is funny rory is pretty amped up afterwards like she has her adrenaline going which makes sense i bet that was like invigorating yeah she says like this is a once in a lifetime experience and then logan says while holding her hand only if you want it to be baby okay so is he just straight up stealing her from dean right now i mean he doesn't know about dean we don't know what logan doesn't know we thought he didn't know about new journalism (laughs) Why would he know about Dean? Probably hired a detective. That's what fucking the rich people do, apparently. That's true. Jason's dad did. At the end of the episode, Lorelai and Rory are on the phone. Lorelai's on her way to go to Luke's to de-stress him after a very unhappy Gilmore experience, which is super funny play on words. Yeah. Like Happy Gilmore, the golf movie. So Rory asks her mom if she's just a little mouse, if she maybe just doesn't take enough risks. Lorelai's like, no, no, you take the perfect amount of risks. Stop taking risks. <laughs> But then there's a knock on the door and Rory goes out there to find some champagne, a gorilla mask, and her camera filled with photos of her and Logan jumping. Who took them? And then the episode ends with Rory kind of like looking at the photos and like smiling to herself. Oh. So, you know a girl doesn't smile if she's about to date a new boy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Stacy, do you think this is a good episode? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I love this episode. Yeah, it's good. The Lane story was maybe whatever. We talked about that. It doesn't feel earned. It wasn't bad. It's just, I'm not that excited about that. Yeah. All the Luke stuff was great. Yes. Emily was at her best. I mean, at her worst, but like. um, That's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We love it when she's a villain. And the golf stuff was all super funny. I hear what you're saying about the opulence of this event being frustrating. And I think if if we weren't invited, which we were not, we would hate it. But Rory is invited. Yeah. And it's fucking romantic that she got like whisked away to this magical place that she's never been. No one's ever taken her to a place like this. She did that debutante ball as like a favor to her grandma, but she's like on the arm of fucking Dean that doesn't want to be there. Right. She's never had like a dive into this rich experience. She goes to her grandparents' house, but she doesn't know this world. So I think someone like taking her there and like demanding she experience it is... You could argue Logan's being an asshole a bit by, like, manipulating her into doing this thing she said she didn't want to do, but then she does it pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, I think there is manipulation. Like, that girl, like, sets up, you're a good girl. Almost feels like she drops that on purpose. It might just be the writing to let us know, like, this is getting into Rory's head. Yeah, I, I don't think that girl was, like, working with Logan to make this happen. I don't know, man. Logan almost seems like a sociopath. I think Finn was going to do it. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, I... I couldn't really remember how I felt about this episode, but like watching it, it was it was like exciting. I feel like it was acted really well. Logan does feel like kind of sleazy. I don't think he's necessarily trying to date Rory. Maybe. I feel like he may not be trying to date Rory, but I feel like he might be trying to charm Rory. Yeah. Like he probably, the way I'm reading it is either he's interested in Rory, which honestly seems like you don't know her enough to be like really legitimately like interested in her. Yeah, but I think there's something interesting about her to him. Well, probably also that she, all their interactions have been pretty negative and he probably isn't used to that. 
Yeah. Like he's probably used to people like Doyle kissing his ass all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there's a line of women that want to date him. So having this smart, attractive woman defying him and like, I don't like you. Kind of like, you know, you're, you're a jerk calling him out. It's probably like, oh, I'm not used to this. I want to impress this woman. And that's exciting for him. Yes. yeah, exactly. And she's used to Dean taking her to Diner Daisies and Jess not wanting to do shit with her except right. make out in Kyle's parents' room. This is exciting for her. And the idea of being like whisked away to a magical place is like romantic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I get that. No, you're absolutely right. And now I'm looking at this very critically from an outside perspective. From Rory's perspective, this is probably incredible. And if Logan isn't a total fucking sociopath as he comes across, I'm sure this will be like a great memory they have together. But to me, uh, it just I was really bothered by just the privilege on display, honestly. Yeah, I get that. I think that's kind of the point, though. And, and maybe the show's going to explore that. I think it's for Roy to, to see that yeah. and decide if she likes it. Mm-hmm. But it was a good episode. I, I don't feel like the show was like, look at all this, this rich people. This is the best thing in the world, objectively. I don't feel like the show did that. So when I say I was bothered by stuff, I wasn't bothered by like the writing or like the way the show showcased stuff. The show showed us something, and I was bothered by the fact that this is a real thing that exists, probably. <laughs> Do you still hate Logan? Yes. I feel like when I've been asking people about Logan lately, they've said they hated him until this episode, which has only been like two episodes. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, he was much better in this episode. He didn't make her call her master and commander. Yeah. I think you can dislike the character, but I, I think what he does for the show and for Rory is interesting character development. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm excited to see how I feel about him, too, because I, I don't exactly remember a lot of the later episodes. I don't think Logan does anything in this episode that makes me hate him. But I feel like I need more than this episode to make up for how he was the first time I met him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, it was good. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, which episode do you think was better? It's tough. It's really hard. They're similar. Both are about like Drew slash Logan kind of convincing Spike slash Rory that they want something more. Mm -hmm. But also Mm -hmm. we've got like Spike and Logan kind of like doing mind games with Buffy and Rory Mm -hmm. to try to see what they want from life or death in Buffy's case. Or telling them what they want. Yeah. Also, like, conditions. Yeah. Logan had a bunch of conditions for Rory. Yeah. What was in Buffy? There was Somebody had conditions. Well, Spike had conditions about telling stuff, like telling the story, like he wanted her yeah. to buy her drinks and exactly. food. It's weird how much they parallels. Maybe Amy's back on her making a matchup with Buffy bullshit. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go Buffy, though. I know a lot of Gilmore fans are probably going to be upset, but I just, I just really like that Buffy. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I like the Buffy. No, it's tough. I, I don't think anyone will fault you for going Buffy. Um, I think I am going to go Gilmore. I think that Buffy was really good, and I was worried Buffy fans would be mad at me for going Gilmore. But I don't know. This, when they, that last scene where he's, like, convincing her to jump, and she does it, and they jump, and they're happy. I just, I feel emotions. Yeah. And the last scene of Buffy's so good with Spike comforting her. But, like, paired with the Richard and Emily stuff... I mean, Buffy also had, like, the Riley story, which is whatever, where kind of the Lane story in Gilmore Girls is whatever. Right. They're both great. For me, the Buffy one is showing us character development through Spike, specifically. Yes. And on Gilmore, we are getting character development. Rory's, like, maybe coming out of her shell. Maybe she's, like, kind of questioning some of her assumptions about herself and the way she lives life. But I feel like we just see so much more emotional character development in Buffy than we did in this Gilmore so that's why I had to go with Buffy. I'm happy that we're splitting because I, I think mm-hmm. they both deserve a vote. They're both very good. And it's yeah. kind of a tie. 
It's interesting. We did three Gilmore. We both voted three Gilmores and then three Buffies in a row. Now we That's split. That's funny. Well, it's okay. We can disagree. That's what this podcast is all about. We both agree both episodes were great. Yeah, I li- this Gilmore would have beaten a lot of other Buffies. Okay. Well, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 5, Episode 8, The Party's Over. As well as Buff the Vampire Slayer Season 5, Episode 8, Shadow. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Like, did you think it was romantic? Did you think it was too extravagant? How did you feel about the Life and Death Brigade event? Do you think Drew actually saw something in Spike, or was it just he was there? Do you think that Xander missing Riley's hand signal was him forgetting his military training? Do you think Rory's too mousy? Yeah, does Rory need to get out of her shell? Would you like a beer? (laughs) (laughs) Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Brian with a Y, Stacy with an EY. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacey, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live streamed watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to all of our new Patreon subscribers, Sarah Crawford, Michaela Reichert, Len Len, Annalise Monkman, and Sarah Osborne. Thank you for subscribing. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of the episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Transition! Transition. All right. It's time for some wine and bye. I'm so excited to see what happens to everybody. I know, me too. Oh, Brian. Brian. Brian, Brian, Brian. What? It's just... You're going to see what happens, everybody. You're trying to worm your way into my head. It's not going to work. Worm, worm, worm. Buffy the Gilmore Slayer.